The year is 1990. I'm Dave. I'm Zach. And this is My Marvelous Year. Hello, and welcome to My Marvelous Year 1990 Part 2. I'm Dave Busing, founder and editor-in-chief of ComicBookHerald.com. You are listening to the second part of our coverage of the essential, necessary, curated list of Marvel Comics we're reading here as part of the My Marvelous Year Club. My Marvelous Year, of course, is the club where we go from the origins of Marvel Comics to today. We have made it through the 60s, through the 70s, through the 80s. We are now into the 1990s and part two we've got an all x-men focused episode for you we've got issues of excalibur we've got issues of new mutants we've got issues of uncanny x-men and i am joined today i am joined today by someone who started wearing a crop top They've started showing a little cleavage. They've gotten a little icier, a little colder in their demeanor. And sometimes... It's dark. It's dark hot, Zach. How's it going, dark hot, Zach? It could sometimes my legs, they just get an extra, like an entire extra joint in them. And you're and right, you're like, tall to begin with, honestly. Yeah. So it's like you wearing that miniskirt and then your legs getting longer. When people say legs for days, this is what they mean. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's like I've got, you know, I've, I've, buttocks to, to knee, right? There's one one long. There's yeah. my thigh right there, yeah. and then there's my kneecap, and then there's another you know like meaty six to ten inches. Should never oh, say meaty. Six meaty, to ten. meaty. You're <laughs> undersell. It's a meat lover's delight. And right. the crazy like thing must- too. And, and, well, no, wait. You're missing the point. And then another kneecap, <laughs> and then my calf. <laughs> right, like double caps, right. Double well, it's true. Up, like every time, yeah. every time, uh, you know, the mafia tries to capture you in a Scorsese movie, which is happening a lot these days. Mm-hmm. If they try to cap you, you know, if they try to get you in the kneecaps, you got to back up. Joke's on them, right? <laughs> Joke's on them. Take that, Marty. All right. But yeah, we're not just going to talk about cinema, capital C. We're, of course, going to talk about comics, capital C. And uh, yeah, we're going to do all things X-Men. Again, if you like My Marvelous Year, uh, you can check us out at patreon.com slash year for ways to support the show. All of that is greatly appreciated. All of that is pushing us towards goals that include the likes of what's next. We're going to do like a, a quarterly reading club on some maybe some under-discussed runs that we haven't gotten mm-hmm. to or maybe yep. don't cover as much of in the club. Um, we have flight. goals for a My alpha DC year, yeah. which I'm just going to keep talking and pretend I couldn't hear yeah. that. <laughs> and uh, and we're going to – I'm not wholly opposed, actually, to doing a quarterly Alpha Flight special. I'm not going to sit here and pretend that doesn't have – a little bit of appeal to read my least favorite comic and your most favorite comic. It's not your and least just finally, favorite. Come on. Come on. It's, it's up there. It's You know what it is? Is Alpha Flight is a lot like uh, Jay Cutler for the Bears. And I know this is going to go over your head. But yep. like it's that thing. Stephen A. Smith has an epic rant, a famous one, where he says Jay Cutler is the worst quarterback in the league. And his rationale was he's just good enough 
that the Bears keep him, right? He's just good enough that they think they're covered at quarterback, right? Because that, But he's bad enough that you're never going to win anything, okay? And that was his argument why actually Jay Cutler is the worst quarterback in the league. It is a highly recommended watch. As a Chicago Bears fan myself, it resonates. Alpha Flight is the Jay Cutler of 80s comics. It is competent. It has talent. It has potential, but it never delivers. Alpha Flight's never going to take you to the Super Bowl. Um, so, uh, yeah, support us on Patreon, and I'll Alpha tell you more Flight about it. Alpha Flight is a lesson in <clears throat> living in the now, Dave. Because, yeah, mm-hmm. you're right. It's not going to, It's not gonna like, set you up for years of continuity. No, it's just going to give you a hell of a ride right there and then. And then you just got to Yeah, nothing, nothing says living in the now like reading a mid-1980s story about a Canadian super team. <laughs> nothing. Absolutely nothing. Uh, but yeah, so that's we're, we're approaching a My DC Year goal way down the line, okay? So you can mm-hmm. check that out over on Patreon.com slash My Marvel's Year. It's not just to help us, right? That That's great, and we appreciate that. But you also get some cool benefits. You get some bonuses. Perhaps most most importantly, uh, you get membership in the official My Marvel's Year Slack Club, which is the coolest comics community going, okay? Let's start. Agreed. Uh, talking first about how you can review us on apple no i'm just kidding but please if you, you could leave us a rating and review on apple that would be great as well okay, yeah. uh, but we'll start with excalibur okay i, I think mm-hmm. we're actually today we're going to go excalibur new mutants and uncanny x-men mm-hmm. i think we're actually i was going to say the way you'd expect this to go you've got excalibur written by claremont you've got new mutants written by louis simonson with art by rob liefeld here mm-hmm. officially in the my Marvel of the sheer club and then you've got uncanny back again with claremont and jim lee I think my favorite of the bunch, New Mutants 87 to 90, Louise Simonson by, by and Rob Life. By a wide margin for me, too, yeah. Yeah? But, uh, both in art and writing, yes. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I'm kind of with you on this. Say, All right, yeah. so let's let's start with Excalibur then, which, um, so can I can I admit something? Can I, can uh, I admit sure. a little mea couple off the bat here? Uh-huh. Um, I, I said the last time we talked about Excalibur, I was not going to include more Excalibur in 1990 and then i looked back at the issues and i kind of glanced over them and i was like oh i think there's actually some really good rachel summers phoenix stuff here maybe i should include just the tail end of this insane cross time caper which even claremont and davis by the end of this clearly know has gone on too long right like the covers Mm -hmm. to these issues are starting (laughs) to say like it's still going like they're rubbing in your face they're having fun with it and i actually appreciate that a little bit um but i thought these issues I thought these issues were different issues. I think there's an Alan Davis written and drawn issue of Phoenix vs. Galactus that is way better than what we read instead in 24 and 25, and I think I got them mixed up. So that that is on me, because let me tell you, Zach, Excalibur 24 and 25. <laughs> this also just kind of didn't do it for you. <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't super do it for me, no. You know, it's, I mean, it's I, weird just, that I, I don't I like down. the cross-time caper much. I really don't. It's strange that it comes down that, like, I think I like these a little more than you, while also being like, I'm glad we only read two of them. Like, they're exhausting to read. Um, yes, but truly. But, like, uh, the 24 was just kind of a big mess, where it's just, like, flitting from thing to thing to thing, and there's just, like, idea and idea and idea. And it, like, it reads like, um, it, like, it almost, it, it, I mean, it's kind of a humorous book, but it almost reads like a comedy book, like a mad magazine thing, where it's, like, yeah, where it's not yeah. about the plot, it's about just, like, pack packing in punchlines and like funny situations like we read um but it's not mo- funny like right yeah no it's ever. definitely not like <laughs> no ever, it's not really funny. you know very very i know rarely. i know it's goofy and it's silly we, and there's a charm to that 
these didn't have any jokes that made me laugh out loud. Last, the last batch had a few jokes that, like, got me, but not yeah, this. I'm overstating it, saying it's not ever but funny. No, that, it, is, that is untrue. Yes. It, it has a lot more whiffs than uh, than hits, for sure, when it comes to the humor. But it reminds me of, like, when we read a comedy Marvel issue. Like, for my ultimate year, we read one that was, like, I don't remember what it was. It was, like, the scrolls were taking over. Do you remember? And it had that really silly Oh. Art. It yeah, was, yeah, it was, it was like Bendis a was involved. In, it, it must have like been a, a Marvel team-up team up issue. Yeah. And it was just like jumping from like joke to joke to joke and scene to scene to scene. And that was also not that successful. But this is that, but also trying to be like, yeah, this is real continuity. W- while mixing in scenes of like heartfelt, like Kitty Pride's turning Re- 16 Real here. character stuff too. Like character yeah. stuff that matters. The I Kitty Pride stuff is not a joke here, right? The Kitty Pride stuff is lighthearted, but it's not being played as any kind of goofiness whatsoever, right? Like she's And I, and I would say those are the parts that I gravitate to the most yeah, because those like are those okay. are the parts yeah. where i'm like oh i'm learning about kitty pride um her interactions with courtney ross in excalibur number 24 a huge part of why when kate kisses a girl in in 2020 and that sets comics fandom aflame as as anything like that is going to do you can look back and say yes there's textual evidence to her bisexuality right there's a huge part of that in excalibur 24 wait isn't this woman like up. 50 years old courtney ross Listen, yeah, there's I, there's I, a handful of complications to Courtney Ross's age. Anyone Kitty is having any sort of romantic oh, inklings towards, this applies to Piotr as well. She's not fifty, but I think it, I read her like, as much. There, older, there's a problem in the age gaps between Kate, Kitty and everyone she interacts with, basically, right? Because yeah, she's it was so surprising young. that she was still only sixteen here. You know, I same, kind of feel like same. It feels like she's more. older. Yeah. Yeah, 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 because they've been through so much. But anyway, my point is, like, that's an important moment. It's understated, and it's subtextual, but it's there. And I I know that that queer readers at the time, I've I've seen many analysis saying, like, yeah, they see that. I mean, Kitty's, you know, licking the cake off her finger and whatnot, and they're having this space because they're on a date going to Paris. Anyway, that stuff's important. That stuff matters. It's also really kind of just, like, fun and interesting to see Kitty get to have her own adventures because that's character we've we've grown with you know in in this case like in marvel terms grown up with um so seeing her get to do those things i think is cool but yeah to your point like it's something i've been thinking about a lot like there's this whole wave right now and i kind of wonder what it's it's in response to um of 89 and 90 we've seen so many like gag comedy books on the Mm -hmm. marvel side of things like there's this real post gym shooters editor-in-chief there's this growth of damage control of excalibur of um, John Byrne's Sensational She-Hulk, right? There's this growth of, like, all these books that are just unabashedly having fun and doing their version of comedy, right? And it's it's really not something that was super present in the Marvel Universe prior to this point, at least in this way, where it's like, that's just a part of the book as opposed to, like, oh, this is our goofy, foom, uh, you know, spinoff magazine yeah, or whatever. right, right. It's like interesting to see these creators. And they're, they're not all creators who are great at it, you know? I think yeah. Claremont probably chief among them, it probably actually being probably the least successful at it, but, like, going for it, 100% going for it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, th- I think if this works, it's because you care about the characters and you care about, like, all the wackadoo stuff that it's establishing. Right, like you, you care about Rachel Summers, so you're invested in what's happening to her, even if like the stuff surrounding her seems a little frivolous and goofball. Um, yeah, you know what? Like, I, I think if Claremont's in this mode of like I'm telling too many stories at the same time, and I'm a little distracted and unfocused, and it's it's just a little too madcap, which I think he does a lot across a lot of his books. Often, I think I'd almost prefer it here than when he's being very serious and very dramatic and very like melodramatic, <clears throat> almost because like. 
I don't love these, but like I, I had a good enough time with these. Like I don't know, they're breezy enough, and and it doesn't. Maybe it's just because I'm tired of the like the very serious, very growly people. You know, no quarter assed and none given Claremont. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that you know, like him doing the breezy thing. At least like I, I appreciate that and like have a little bit more fun with that because the other. The other one is so exhausting to me. The other mode, like we'll get to. When we talk no, about X-Men. for sure, for sure. There's there's a tone to it that is actually appealing. Um, I do. I mean, I do like too. There there's stuff. I actually like 24 a lot more than I like 25 because 24 is all about the Excalibur crew being um basically they're with Saturnine. They're with so Saturnine is the Omniversal Majestrix. Okay, I don't know how much we've dealt with her in the past, but she is she comes into play big time in, like, the Alan Moore and Alan Davis run, which I reference a lot in the 80s, mm-hmm. which isn't on Marvel Unlimited, unfortunately. Um, but she, like, oversees the Omniverse, okay? The Omniverse in Marvel is the collection of Marvel multiverses. So that's where we really start to get, you know, this idea of, okay, all of these versions of Earths that the mutants that the Excalibur team has been traveling to. Saturnine's, like, the one who oversees all of that, and that's kind of where she resides, okay? So the the Excalibur crew is kind of on her plane. They're on her dimension. They're in her level in the starlight Mm -hmm. citadel and saturnine in particular is like the phoenix is something that is a threat to realities that is what i watch over that is what i try to protect i need the phoenix okay so that's kind of the the crux of that issue and it's actually quite fun because you have rachel summers dressing up as kitty pretending to be her you know with with half-hearted charm right um and lockheed of course you know getting in her business and then all sorts of hijinks ensue it's very up alan davis's alley he gets to return to all these different captain britain goofy characters um that issue i actually think is pretty successful as an excalibur issue it's 25 where it's like oh galactus is here but it never feels like a galactus sized threat even though we're like allegedly we're back in our own reality you know I, I, I like this one. Um, like, I, I had fun with this, even though at some point I absolutely lost the thread on what was happening. Like, 100% lost entire touch with, like, who was, what what players were, like, <laughs> bouncing yeah. off of each other towards the end right. of it. And then I got the vibe of, like, what's going on. You know, because Galactus comes and is like, I'm going to destroy the Phoenix because the Phoenix is the only thing that's a threat to me. And then through a really long, complicated process you know rachel summers decides to like sacrifice herself instead of galactus destroying the earth and then someone convinces galactus i I can't remember who someone i want to say it's the watcher because uatu shows up and he gives the longest most nonsensical rambling answer it's nova it's nova okay oh the herald right yeah no oh no roma roma (laughs) that's right oh yeah yeah lady roma shows up Right, that's the part where I was just like, I don't know who this is. Who's this woman who's telling Galactus? Okay, so like, let, let's back that up what? for a second, too. Yeah, this so is, this Saturnine, is to me. <laughs> Saturnine reports in to Lady Roma, okay? Lady Roma uh-huh. is the, I think, daughter of Merlin. Yep, Merlin and Lady wiki. Roma have often overseen the Omniverse, right? They, they kind of oversee that in a way that, like, they're this... I don't even know if cosmic is the right term, but, like, they're these abstract kind of beings but they're also like very very human in a way um lady roma shows up at the end of fall of the mutants and she's the one who gives the mutants the opportunity to be like hey yeah, you I can remember, go anywhere be anything etc right so we have seen her before okay. but yeah like right now in in continuity like lady roma is kind of like saturnine's boss 
Um, just think of her as like super powerful and sort of outside the sphere of Earth and just regular human dealings, right? Um, yeah, so so she, yeah, it's a lot of cosmic shenanigans. It's a lot of wildness. We have Chris Wozniak on pencils and Al Milgram on inks instead of Alan Davis. You know, so there's a change in tone as well just by virtue of it not being Davis. I, I don't think Dave. Yeah, I think Davis is the much better artist, but I really like Wozniak's like chunky, chunky Galactus. Yeah. His chunky Awatu so, too. So yeah, Awatu's head is as chunky as Galactus's thighs, right? Like, he, he gives, like, Watu <laughs> these, like, big pads on the side of his face. Uh, it's, it's really cute. He's I, I love just the bigger, fatter baby he is, uh, the more I, I like this guy. Um, absolutely, then, absolutely. Yeah. No, th- but, like, Davis being off this, too, like, this is a... This is kind of the end of the Claremont Davis run, okay, in many ways. Like, Claremont will write a few more issues, um, but then you're going to enter a stretch. Like, from 26 through 41... It's it's no lock whether Claremont or Davis will be involved, and then for a long time, like it's Scott Lobdell writing it and different sorts of artists before Alan Davis comes back in full force as writer and artist in I think Excalibur number forty two. Okay, so like this is kind of the run really of their kickoff in their really twenty four was like um of their which I I forgot to mention too in twenty four we do also get the Captain Britain Corps which we have not talked about a heck of a lot in um in my marvelous year but it's like so brian braddock here is our captain britain in excalibur there's a core each multiverse has a captain britain protector okay and they're all from like some version of britain all sorts of different things might have happened Mm -hmm. in that realm you know because it's an alternate reality it might be totally different story but they're all like some so you have like captain albion captain uk captain this and that but they're all like versions of captain britain um and they can be humanoid they could be alien they could be a goose they could be all sorts of things uh it's fun concept that we haven't dealt with a lot but that that does come up and it's kind of important uh but yeah big picture like i don't i like 24 more than i remembered when we started talking, because that's actually a pretty fun issue. <laughs> um, but 25, I don't think hits super hard. It's it's not the Galactus vs. Phoenix issue you want it to be, because in my case, it wasn't the one that I remembered. <laughs> I yeah, literally it's, was it's, thinking it's of okay. a different issue. I like, I like seeing Frankie again. Uh, that, that was kind of fun just to check in on Yeah, her. good old but Frankie like, Nova. But yeah, yeah. otherwise, it, it's it's fine. Um, nothing, nothing, you know. Uh, not, not a favorite, but also not a, not a disaster, I don't think. Yeah, I feel what? sort of... It, I feel sort of weird, like, about my relationship to Excalibur, because I know for some fans, including, like, John Galati, a writer on the site, he wrote a great review of Excalibur. And, like, for him, as a comics reader coming up, like, the comedy and the charm of this book, like, was a huge win. Like, it was Mm -hmm. an unquestioned, like, these were formative comics for me. I think as someone who... I I feel like if you come to them later in your X-Men experience, and, like, you sort of read through the Claremont era and then get to these, I have a hard time imagining anyone coming to it that way who's like oh good Excalibur's here this is what I've been waiting for as opposed to like if you started your X-Men journey you know or like a portion of it with Excalibur earlier I feel like maybe you'd have a different response maybe I'm using a lot of you and I'm describing my own reaction but I I wonder (laughs) yeah well because I I think like I feel like it's actually very um it's probably very predictable that I'm like yeah this is fine because I'm notoriously like yeah I'm not like it doesn't immediately grab my interest just because mutants are involved, but that's not the case for everyone. For a lot of people, if there's mutants, that's enough reason to read it, and that's almost why I'm surprised that you aren't digging it quite as much, because uh, you are kind of that, like, mutant head, you know? Muty head? Muddy head? <laughs> what am I? I don't know. Well, and I, the weird thing about that is, like, it does good stuff for Kitty. Mm-hmm. It does good stuff for, Kurt. for Rachel Summers. For Kurt and Rachel Summers. Yeah, for sure. That, I mean, that that's probably And I love Nightcrawler. 
And yeah, I love what, what I like you know? most about it is that like it has fleshed out a few characters for me. Like I like some of the characters in it more than I actually care about what's happening around them. And Rachel Summers is the prime example because she's a character that's been a little like wishy-washy nebulous for me and came into focus in this series. So yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's okay. It's, so there, it I is think... successful on a on a level. Um, it's just it's never been the book for me. But I, I am curious to yeah. hear what people think about Excalibur in the club. Let us know uh, via questions at my especially if, Gmail. Uh, if you're not already, you know, like. Yeah, I read this growing up in a Marty. If you're coming to a new, for person. sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah someone yeah. who's reading this for the first time like I am. Um, Speaking the, of reading things for the first time. Yes, yes. I actually hadn't read all these issues before oh, really? we... Uh, yeah, because a lot of them weren't in the My Marvelous Year Club. It was, you know, it was that weird thing of like, you know, Louis Simonson gets uh, gets jobbed by Marvel at every opportunity in terms of what's Ridiculous. included and digitized. It's, it's the beginning of Cable. Like, <laughs> that's absurd. Right, so they had they had the debut issue of Cable, but uh, a lot of this New Mutants run was not filled in until more recently. It is there now, fortunately, and guess what? Uh, it's pretty good. <laughs> like, I there's a perception pretty, pretty we've good. talked about this. So <laughs> yeah. let, let's talk about the elephant in the room, which is of course the presence, the presence of Rob Liefeld, who has become one of the most notorious and frankly famous creators and and you know individuals in like all of comicdom. Okay, like I. If you don't know him, you may have seen him. Um, you've probably heard of him. He's constantly bragging that he's the creator of Deadpool. He's a co-creator, let's be clear. Uh, but, like, if you go, like, when I go to C2E2, right, back when cons were a thing, Liefeld's table, his, his what he can charge for autographs, it's, like, unrivaled, okay? Which, which like, is funny because, like, like, like... crazy popular. People, Still. I, I mean, he was very popular. Is he, though? I feel like people, if people yeah, like no, him I'm t- now, I'm it's telling you right they, now, <laughs> that yeah. was my experience. I, I think, like, my perception is that, like, if people like him now, it's because they're like, yeah, he was fun back in the '90s, and he's like a fun guy to listen to now. Not necessarily yeah, sure. that, that he has had, you know, any kind of uh, significant work in the last twenty years. Right? I mean, you're um, also describing why Foo Fighters sells out stadiums. Yeah, right? yeah, like I guess that's, I guess that's true. There's a legacy of popularity because, because usually when people talk about him, it's with you know. <laughs> like what, what I hear, it's with well, kind of right. A, a, so then there's grimace, the flip side, right? yeah, yeah, of modern criticism, which is like he became kind of a like almost a caricature artist, you know, like and the I, the most critical version of this would be like talentless hack who took a lot of credit he didn't deserve and leveraged that to immense popularity, kind of like a a '90s like I don't know like rich kid version of Stan Lee, I guess of the worst. Um, interpretations of Stan Lee. Yeah. I don't think, again, I think it's like most things. It's not quite like the Stan Lee story at all, but it's also like, yeah, actually the truth is somewhere in the middle where Liefeld starts out as a fairly talented artist yeah. who's doing some interesting yeah. things, especially with character creation a- alongside Louise Simonson. Yeah. Real important to call yeah, that out, that, right? that was like what got me here because I was like, oh, wow, Louise Simonson co-created Cable. I have never heard her name used in conjunction. I like I knew forever. It was like, yeah, yeah. Rob Fl- Liefeld and Cable, right? Rob, Rob Liefeld yeah, yeah. and Deadpool. I wonder if that's just like the Stan Lee thing, where it's just his self marketing ability. Well, and there, if you if you dig up the interviews really on it, there are debates, right? And there's Liefeld saying the editor in chief came to me. I came up with the name. I came up with the design, right? So they've got they've got that sort of thing. But when you look at the end result of what's on the page, okay, um, and we're not going to do a who created what debate here on this podcast because frankly i just don't think it's either of our main purview or interest yeah um there's good reading you can do on it but like when you look at what's actually on the page in terms of the story it's really good it's a really good introduction to cable and a totally new direction for the new mutants like this picks up what new mutants was which was louis simonson kind of stuck 
I think. Um, the issues preceding this are an acts of vengeance story where the mm-hmm. new mutants go yep. to Asgard and, and Danny gets Danny Moonstar's a Valkyrie and she gets kind of manipulated by Hela. And it's just like, it just feels like we're spinning our wheel on new mutant stories in a lot of ways, right? Rusty and Skids are on the run from, uh, you know, from Freedom Force. It feels like X Factor and new mutants and just sort of kind of all the things that you can kind of get stuck in and not like about those series. Cable comes at a necessary time, I would say. Like, so we're reading issues 87 to 90. This is post Acts of Vengeance. And this is, I, I didn't remember how, I, I remember this feeling like Cable shows up and the book's just completely different kind of thing. Like, like it's just like a boom, one and done status quo. Actually, what this story is, is like a split between transitioning, getting the new mutants back and how they meet Cable while mm-hmm. we tell the story of this sort of mysterious gunslinging cyborg looking cable trying to like take down the mlf the the newly uh announced and created mutant liberation front okay which is a surprisingly good addition to the marvel universe they're, and to mutant dumb, I they're good say. characters I, I like all the characters I, I don't buy this like dichotomy between like them being the terrorist mutants because i'm just like literally everything they're doing i've seen the x-men do but it's just the way that they're framed. Right? Like, but, I, I, but I think they should be casting that mirror on what mutants and, and humankind are doing. I think that, I, I don't know how well the nuance is portrayed. Yeah, because the X-Men but are I like, think no, they're today, terrorists. You know, even if our goals sometimes align, the way they go about it is so different. I'm like, no, it's not. Sometimes you break into things and steal right. yeah, steal back your, uh, your co-workers. Uh, your steal back your coworkers. That, Man, that's how, every, that's how the X-Men every day I go to work, I got to steal back a new coworker. It's, <laughs> it's absurd. Every yeah. day, it's number one on my calendar. Um, no, you're right, and, and I think like that's that's a modern lens because like so a character that's in the Mutant Liberation Front, Tempo. Okay, as one of the characters introduced here, she has time traveling powers. This character was nominated as one of the ten I, I know, X-Men, I one of the ten mutants that people could vote for in 2020, uh, 2021's you know fan vote for the Jonathan Hickman run of X-Men. And Tempo had this huge groundswell of support, a character that I had no affiliation with because she's a diverse character with interesting powers. And you can't be I, I a think... diverse character. She's a black character. <laughs> you can't be a diverse person. <laughs> that, that, that applies to groups of people. Sorry, sure, is... yes. No, she, no she's a black I'm, woman. I'm teasing. I, That's what I, what I avoided there, what I wanted to avoid there is what I didn't want to say she was the pick because she was a black woman because there there are other good reasons as well you know yeah, what i mean yeah. no no but the, i know but the it, it's the, a nice the, tack on effect <laughs> or yes no you're you're right yeah. like the it is important to be specific but i will say like the improvement in the x-men's diversity was a mm-hmm. huge selling point as yeah. well because that's a thing that they lack and a thing that would be yeah. uh, beneficial to the team and to the stories um, I, but that character had a for? huge groundswell of support yeah yeah just in a second yeah um yeah. because i think modern readers look back at like the mlf and look at that and they're like yeah that's exactly what the x-men are doing and have done in all sorts of stories like they they need to fight for justice so there's a totally different perspective i think than what they are originally depicted as which is the modern quote-unquote terrorist version of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. All right, well, I, I mean, cl- clearly, like, everything in the book is framing them as the terrorist group because, you know, it's comparing them to the People's Liberation Front and, you know, the National Liberation Front, all these different, like, you know, the, the Animal Liberation Front, right? Like, uh, the, the, the extremist version of a good cause, right? Yeah, that, that kind yeah. Of thing. Um, and uh, and I, I don't know if the book is talking about it necessarily, but I think that is, like, an interesting perspective to bring in later and yeah um oh so i, I voted for boom boom <laughs> not would. because i actually particularly like boom boom just because someone on twitter was like 
they wrote me they wrote me on twitter and were just like hello i'm here to recruit you for team boom boom and i was like yeah okay sure you you asked first wow wow <laughs> i mean i'm Showing not reading the 20... flaws in the election have some integrity yeah you have can some buy my integrity in your x-men elections nicely. Yeah, so absurd. I'm not, I'm yeah, not I, the comics. I don't think they've officially announced the winner, not but yet. all their no. indications are it was either Polaris or Banshee. For those of you who are interested, but again, if you're that's, reading along with us in my bonkers. Marvel series, you won't some, know until 2021. Banshee. Um, anyway, yeah. So th- this team, I think, is really fun, right? Like um, Reaper, Forearm, Wildside. I think mm-hmm. are the other ones. Um, mm-hmm. It does like very little to. Uh, you know what? What's really strong about this is uh, you. You left out forearm, whose name is like the forearm on your arm, except yes. he has four number <laughs> yes. arms, which is amazing. What's really good about these introductions is because uh, is that like it just does them really naturally, and you feel like you get to know these characters just through action in the story. Um, yeah, it does that really well with all of the mutant liberation people, most of the mutant liberation people, I'll say actually, and uh, and Cable himself, because Cable shows up. Like I, I feel like if you didn't know this was the first appearance of Cable, and you were just jumping in here, you'd be like, oh okay, this guy's been around, right? Like he just feels like he's just been here, and he's just seamlessly added in. Like he feels like he's and already the creators been here for treat a while. him that way as well, because they which, have they have Freedom Force, for example, be like Cable. We know about your history, right? Like, yeah, like the it, characters in this universe, know yeah, him, which interesting, right? Like Rick, what's his name? Um, he's one of the new new mutants with the like the mohawk and i don't i didn't know him um rickus rictus oh richter you're talking about richter rictus i think his name was yeah richter what's richter's deal i don't i don't actually know him uh earthquakes richter's Uh, deal is earthquakes yeah so uh yeah because he he like knows cable from the past he keeps talking about like cable um something to do with his dad like cable killed his dad or got his dad in trouble and then cable mentioned something about like how he's gonna you know, Richter looks like he needs a dad. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, right. If gonna... I saw somebody rocking that shirtless vest and mohawk combo, <laughs> I yeah. would also say, you look like you need a dad, son. <laughs> yes. Um, yeah, so I, I think tons of praise for, like, Cable comes here. Cable is not what I expected. I kind of thought he was going to come in. I think Liefeld did, right? Like, big, macho, incredibly aggressive, like, aggro guy. And uh, we don't, we don't aggress- start there, Aggressive right? and aggro. <laughs> Those are two different things. Um, I mean, uh, it, there's some of that, but it's not fully on display. And that's the thing is, like, people conflate 1996 Liefeld with where he's going yeah, with maybe which yeah, yeah. how he started, which is to say, like, all of that wild character creation up front. That's a thing that Liefeld becomes known for, okay, with when he goes on to found Image Comics and just launch series after series and there's plagiarized. Like, literally, he was sued by Marvel at one point, you know, for creating a just a dead-on Captain America ripoff. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a thing that he becomes known for. But at this point, with Simonson, I think keeping some of that in check, keeping some of that in tow, like you said, actually yeah. introducing the characters with a little bit of flow, too, as well as just to, like, here's a design and here's a design, um, that stuff actually works pretty well. And I, I think you're right. And Cable has... The Cable pieces are mysterious. They build up over time. They build up pretty naturally with him, like, fighting Freedom Force to free Rusty and Skids because they're currently under their... Freedom Force, again, like, for those... We've talked about them a bunch, but Freedom Force right now is basically the old Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. It's Mystique, it's Blob, it's Pyro, and it's Avalanche, typically, and uh, and a handful of others who I, I tend to forget about. And they uh, they recently just lost Destiny, and one other one that I don't yeah. care about as much, but Destiny died in an issue of Uncanny X-Men, okay, yeah, in a battle on Muir yeah. Island. Um, so that that's kind of a big moment in uh, in X-Men history that happens. There's a lot going on on Muir Island right now, and we'll, we'll get to that as this progresses, speaking okay? Of, speaking of characters dying, 
There's a character yeah. here called Silver Sable. He's on the um, the mutant force, or what, what's it called? The uh... Silver Saber. I kept calling Silver him Saber, Silver yes. Sable in my yes. head as well, and it's so Silver close. Silver Saber. It, it, yeah. If you Google Marvel Silver Saber, it will just ignore it and pull up Silver Sable for you. <laughs> Honestly, as it should. <laughs> okay, so Fair. the funny thing that happens here is Cable escapes from the, um, what are they called? The, uh, I, the, the, I, you just said it and I forgot it. The what, mutant... the Mutant Liberation Front? No, the other one, the government force. With well, before mystique. I say that, you know of a really fun thing to no, do no, with these issues? I have, is I have every a... time that, every I time they do the acronym the name. MLF, of a sentence. add an I, <laughs> and it's Christ. MILF, and it's a lot more fun. Okay, uh, Freedom <laughs> okay, Force yes, is who they are. Wor- I'm sorry, that was worth interrupting me for. Yeah, Freedom Force. Cable's escaping Freedom Force, and as he escapes through, like, the trees, he slings up some, uh, some like, wire so that, like, when they run through, they would, like, garrot yeah, yeah, themselves. Yeah. And yeah. Silver Saber's thing is he, he's just a speedster. He can run super fast. Um, <laughs> if you if you look up Silver Saber on Marvel, uh, Marvel Unlimited, or, um... No way he's got a Marvel Unlimited uh, profile. Sorry, on the Marvel, if you look up Silver Sable on Marvel fandom, right? Yeah. Down on notes, is it, is it a spoiler to say he dies in next year, 1991? Uh, For our Silver Saber fans, I suppose. Yeah, I, for I, me, I think, no. <laughs> okay. He gets killed in like a New Mutants annual issue get by decapitation. And there's a note here saying, although almost de- decapitated twice, Fletcher never took measures to protect his neck, <laughs> making his death an avoidable tragedy. <laughs> Because yeah, he almost gets protect your neck, and then one year protect later, protect your neck, Fletcher. Off. <laughs> oh, poor guy. Yeah, yeah. Um, no, it's true. It's true. So, so to, to Liefeld's art, I think it's pretty good. I think his designs are like very fresh. It kind of has that McFarlane thing. Like, well, and, he, and he's inked by McFarlane on a number of these yeah, covers, too, yeah. um, in such a way that you can see, like, okay, you can see the progression, you can yeah. see the learnings. I mean, yeah, it's got a similar flavor to McFarlane in that it's like, hey, this right here, this Big, energy. Oversized and, like, got yeah. saber-tooth hair, right? Like, saber-tooth oh, hair saber-tooth has as much hair. volume as the rest of his body. Yeah. <laughs> you know? like Just big, oh, like, his blob, I think, does a similar thing, too. Just crazy oh, his proportions. Blob is great. And you know it's, what? It's, like, I, it's fun. I think... There are pan like there's a few panels that did make me laugh out loud about how bad the anatomy is. You know, like that's there. This is there, right? But like I think I don't. It matters. I, if you're looking for, I, I just feel like no, I'm not I mean, really yes, looking if, for that without the baggage it, of of knowing that. You know, if you're looking for it, it's definitely there. If you're not looking for it, you'll still occasionally see it because sometimes it does hit you in the face. It's so like apparent occasionally you know what hits me in the face strife's debut when they're like here's the secret leader of the mutant liberation front his name's strife he's got spikes on his spikes on every single element of his costume talk to me (laughs) strife yeah that stands out yeah so no i'm generally pretty positive about this like i liked his art and the thing that i was most worried about was not necessarily his style because i've seen his style and i've been like yeah i think it's kind of fun you know it's not it's not something i want all the time but like I can I can dig it sometimes, right? Like I can get mm-hmm. behind this and have fun with it. What I was worried about is that he was gonna be like an atrocious storyteller and that his page layouts were gonna be a disaster. Not so. They're pretty good. Like they're not nearly as cluttered as you'd think they'd be. It yeah. flows really well. Like his page layouts look nice most of the time. Like it's not quite as good as like McFarlane was doing on like um on the Hulk, right? I think like McFarlane was bringing yeah. some real like fresh um designs to that that like I hadn't seen before, but it's it's closer than I would have guessed. Um, it, yeah, it's pretty well, good. It's it not, will, you yeah. have to remember, too, like, this is Liefeld's, like, generally, like, his first ongoing with Marvel, yeah. right? We saw him do, like, a fill-in issue of X-Factor. Like, and, and that's a thing, you know, you kind of forget with the image guys is, like, they. this is them making a name for themselves. He's, 20, he's 23. He's yeah, these are, too, these are you know? young, young he's people. Baby, Todd McFarlane, yeah. Rob Liefeld, Jim Lee. They're all coming in and being like, 
they're new, right? And and at that stage, they're not necessarily just like, you don't necessarily have the confidence to just be like, yeah, I'm just going to do my thing and I don't care what you say. Now, that's where things were going to go, of course, when in 1992, yeah. they all leave and they found Image Comics which with a bunch of other folks, right? But at this point, they're just like, kind of redefining X-Men and redefining a look of Marvel Comics and a lot of like what the superhero comics industry is going to be. Um, yeah, it, it, honestly, and I think too, like credit where it's due, Louis Simonson reins in those impulses and sure. keeps a yeah. narrative flow. She knows what she's doing. She's a she's yeah. an extreme professional, you know? She's yep. been at this for a long time. So like together, they tell a pretty successful yeah, I, story. I, I wonder if that's what is going to happen is that like, you know, he just gets his... his he he gets such a big check to uh to cash or to write <laughs> that like he he just is able to take the reins of his own books and without that kind of like editorial voice standing over him or having to collaborate with somebody it goes off the rails i'm i'm curious if that's like going to be the truth well and that's that's my we're going to have an interesting conversation about yeah <laughs> yeah we're going to have an interesting conversation about that with um with Todd McFarlane because you know he goes from do an Incredible Hulk to we've basically seen the last of him actually in Acts of Vengeance on Amazing Spider-Man and kind of just wanting to be the guy, you know, wanting yep. to be like, I want to be the storyteller. I don't want to have to draw to the whims of another writer, essentially. Um, and we're going to see that with his solo Spider-Man. And we'll see, you know, kind of, OK, what happens when these guys do get free reign to just do whatever um, as they become increasingly big names, you know, and that becomes that. I, and it's again, it's too. It's like it's not like it's just a problem for them like that could be an issue for a lot of storytellers in a lot of situations even today sure if you're just like hey somebody go wild no restraints like that that isn't necessarily a good thing can be but it's not always yeah. um all right so one other piece i want to talk about with this is you know one back and forth we've had about x-men and just sort of the the pace of things specifically like the way claremont sets it out is multiple plot lines multiple threads yeah. i think new mutants balances that here yeah. very very well yeah. uh, a credit to simonson credit to liefeld credit to the whole team um because they're balancing a like i alluded to in the beginning kind of the dark you know now she's wearing sexy clothes now moira mctaggart okay um yeah, where they're, they're weaving in that plot that is from there. claremont's uncanny okay yeah. like i mentioned yeah. okay. there's there's a whole thing going yeah, Le- on in I, I right legions now. yeah legions around yeah legions around he's involved legion so all right so i don't think it's a spoiler because it's something that i don't know how do we deal with this this is something that already happened in uncanny x-men at the point we're at in the comics we haven't read this issue i think it's fine, club, and we're not going people to people want to have okay read it, they would have read it yeah if you haven't read uncanny x-men yet leading up to this point pause skip ahead a minute or whatever all right ready set go in the previous issue of uncanny x-men where destiny dies legion is kind of behind that Okay, like Legion is the one that uh, encounters Destiny and then ultimately she dies in that battle on Muir Island. Okay, so there's some sort of mysterious force. We don't even really totally know the depths of it or the extent of it exactly. But that's building out in the pages of Uncanny X-Force that transitions to Moira, who is Rain's godmother or or what do you call her adopted mother mm-hmm. and uh and she's like just obviously acting out of character she's cold she she's not really caring for rain she's insisting rain sinclair leave the new mutants and come back to your island which actually i would say is actually not that bad of an impulse <laughs> apart from um apart from obviously just being clearly out of character you know i'd be like yeah like don't train with this paramilitary group of, of young people um but that's just the parent of me uh but anyway so like there's that thread <laughs> There's Freedom Force chasing Cable, which is really interesting. And then there's the New Mutants coming back from Asgard and just kind of figuring, like, dealing with X-Factor, figuring out what they want to do. There's a lot going on, and it's all, like, it's all handled well. It it's works. handled well, and, it, yeah, the, the pacing, I think it actually, like, it helps the pacing, right? Like, you don't stick with any one thing for too long. But the you, you reading across these four issues, you do feel like all these stories are all bouncing off of each other, right? It's not like, I mean, my, my problem usually 
with this is that it's like, here's your A plot. It's 90% of the issue. And then you're just going to get two pages that's just like, hey, you know what? We're just checking in over here. And this story will somehow touch the main continuity five, six issues from now. Right. But for now, it's not really like that affecting things that much. And it just feels like a distraction, you know, or like it's jarring. It it loses focus. Um, But yeah, you're all kind of building around each other. Exactly. You feel like it's like three different threads that are literally like weaving around each other, getting tighter and tighter. Right. Like they are all like coming together and converging. And you know what's cool about Cable? Um, Which I did not expect. I I guess this is just because I don't know. How infrequently he wears a shirt. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. Um, (laughs) But is that he uh, he's like basically filling in for Professor X and Magneto from the New Mutants. He becomes the new like teacher you know soldier or or captain for the new mutants which is not what i expected he's like he's kind of a softer guy than i would have like you know would have expected like he seems like a a, like yeah slightly gentler guy like he he takes time with like certainly compared to magneto and right like richter Richter gets mad at him and like kind of snaps and he's just like you know confronting him now is not the right choice i'll have to you know i'll talk to him later in private but i can understand his agitation i was like oh wow he's uh you know like (laughs) a little thoughtful yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I I had forgotten too, like in my memory, Cable just showed up and like was like, Hey, I'm your I'm your teacher now <laughs> kind of thing. And instead it's like they yeah. they just sort of run in by chance while Cable's being chased by the Freedom Force, the new mutants step in and help him, and then Cable was like, Well, I have been looking for a team. What are you what are you up to, fellow teens? And they and yes. then they become his little army to take on the mutant liberation force. <laughs> well, yes, right? I have been looking for some teens. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. No, it's it's good stuff. Um I, I dig this run. I'm excited to read more because again, there's there's some blank spots for me kind of building up to uh to issue ninety eight, which is a famous one that we're gonna cover here probably uh probably next, next year. year. So yeah. all right. Let's jump ahead now to Uncanny X-Men. We read issues 266 to 268 for the club. Again, we we have jumped in Uncanny, okay? So we read the Axe of Vengeance Uncanny issues. Those were about Psylocke and her transformation. Those were about um, Wolverine, right? And uh, it, it, with the exception of that, there's a lot happening. Again, this is a bi-weekly or bi-monthly. It's coming out twice a month. Um, and in 266 is obviously like kind of in the midst of some stuff <laughs> okay clearly the big stuff that you need to know going into this issue is that when storm passed through the siege perilous which all the x-men did and it kind of left them all stranded and apart and drifting storm also now is de-aged so storm's the little girl okay okay and so- she's on the run she's on the run <laughs> yeah, 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 as yeah. a young girl but she's still aurora monroe with some version of her lightning powers but she doesn't totally understand it she doesn't know she's an x-man she kind of doesn't have her memory either all right yeah. zach hit me with your question okay so <laughs> yeah a couple things i forgot to mention this in the last the last episode because we were like rushing to, to finish up and we we're running long but they yeah. mentioned the siege perilous and it someone someone was like after having survived the siege perilous, I just thought that was like a Claremontism. I didn't know it was a proper noun. I thought it was just like <laughs> something, yeah. you know, a a, a a euphemism for like going through a tough time. <laughs> you know, like yeah. After all that, uh, I, I would after, love that to be a euphemism more people used. You know, for yeah, just like for daily after trials. your divorce, like yeah, I've come through my the siege perilous. I've still, come through the siege perilous intact. on the other side. Got turned yeah. into a child, but I'm I'm still here. No, the Siege yeah. Perilous is like an actual. I mean, yeah, basically, I, just I think of it as a mystical gateway. Okay, you you looked yeah. it up. Um, okay, that <laughs> that happens in an issue that involves I want to say Nimrod and Master Mold Sentinel stuff. It's actually pretty important for like X Men continuity purposes, but I didn't deem it super essential. I mean, kind of. You just need to know they go through it, and now they're separated in Solo. Okay. Okay, so my first thought opening this issue was D H Storm being attacked by the Shadow King in Cairo 
Illinois. <laughs> Love it. Love <laughs> very, it. Very funny. That's my like, kind I, of pun game. Yeah. yeah. Um, but being attacked by a Shadow King by having like hellhounds sicked on her, and the hellhounds are like people who have had their like souls pulled out of them or something. And I, I was pretty like, scary. The the that is a convergence of like many things that we have seen so many times. That was the this is the most like wow he's out of ideas huh like de aging somebody somebody like frazzled and not knowing who they are. Who's anymore. been de aged? Uh, Magneto. Magneto got turned. That wasn't Claremont. That was in Defenders before he got there, and then well, he had to age I mean, him back I- up. Ileana Rasputin got de aged. Fair. That's fair. That's a. That's a I don't know. One. It just felt like so- <laughs> it feels like something we've seen a lot. And then like hellhounds. Man, he loves hellhounds. He keeps dipping back into hounds, different types of yeah. Hounds, hounds are scary. I re reusing reusing ideas and things that you've used in past stories is part of the resonance that makes comic book continuity so fun. I, I, you're I guess saying it like you, a criticism. You can do that I'm in a way. That, like, if, that's good. Yeah, well, I mean, but was this engaging? Were you like, hell yeah, the hellhounds are here? And yeah, I, man, I Jake, oh, Shadow Zeke King is, as Jacob Rice here, yeah, like this. manipulating people and and bludgeoning them down to wolf-like hound-like creatures to me is sadistic and and haunting and the way and it builds up the shadow king is this sort of uh of evil force in a way that like again like we're, we're kind of in the shadow king era of claremont's run not kind of we are right this is the shadow king era of claremont's run um and it it's one thing you realize when you look back is like who's the who's the threat the X-Men have right now, you know, like mm-hmm. who's their, their main focus. And that's, that's actually one thing that I think the Claremont era struggles with quite a bit. Um, post like, honestly, like post days of future past in a lot of ways, or even like post brood saga is you sort of get into this sort of like muddled, uh, it's a new thing every week. But if you kind of think like, well, big picture, it was all building to Inferno, but in the moment, did it feel that way? Yeah, Not necessarily, right. you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, it wasn't always, like, Mr. Sinister behind the scenes. Like, that kind of gets added later. That's why I call him a walking retcon engine. He takes everything that happened and then makes it work later. Mm-hmm. Um, this yeah. becomes the era where Shadow King's actually the one that is the threat for the most part, and she's mainly the threat here for Storm, right? Because they have a history. Like, we saw in that Professor X yeah. flashback issue. Yeah, I like Where that when issue. Professor X first encounters Shadow King, it's a very good issue. Yeah. Um, he, you know, they become mortal enemies. They engage in a psychic battle. All of that is happening when Professor X, I think, finds Storm as, like, a young thief in Cairo in Eden, I believe, right, yes. is, is the origin of that. <laughs> the, uh, the second most famous Cairo. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. so Jacob Rice here, this, this host of the Shadow King, was an FBI agent. So it's affording the Shadow King certain privileges, certain access. Okay, so this is going to matter, is what you're saying to me. Because, like, to me, I was reading this and I was just like, oh, boy, this is... This this felt like what we were kind of talking about last week, where I was just like, this feels like just wheel spinning a little to me. Um, oh, no, not at all. I mean, like, Gambit I mean, shows I, up I, here, I right? have like, to, Gambit... I have to insist again that your, your reflections on the Claremont run... Make me weary of everyone in the My Marvelous Year Club approaching this specific X-Men universe this way, okay, of chunks of issues at a time, because it is not a run that plays well reading it that way. Sure. I try yeah. to carve out the specifics here, and we haven't even gotten to the specifics. I'm like, yeah, this is Gambit's debut, right? And there's some, like, some important yeah. characters that, that I mean, we know that, about. That, that is very but fair. But you're missing that is, so fair, much when you do it yeah. in chunks and in increments. That's fair, but I also know beyond a, a shadow of a doubt— that I would just be miserable if I was reading more. Like this is fine for me. I don't, I don't think you would like it anyway. I mean, <laughs> I, I yeah, would possibly, like it but like you would, you would have the background yeah, and knowledge yeah, that, and the character that's true. building so, that th- gets us to the point. There are probably I I don't think that because people level that criticism against my criticism of just like well if you read more and I'm like no I think I got what's going on like I get I well, get you the you say things. that because you're an overconfident man but like no I there are, there are definitely times where. <laughs> 
Thank you. Thank you very much. There yeah. are there are definitely times where like missing a little of the context does, I'm sure, like put me on my back foot reading these. Um but like I I, I don't think that is that is all that's that's going on here. Um the uh Gambit, I, I don't about... th- I think at the end of the day and you've said this outright, so I'm not putting words in your mouth. Like you're just not that big of an X-Men, um, yeah. And and that's well, you, that's okay. Not so you know what? Is. Actually, the, my my main complaint with these, besides like I felt like it was kind of treading on some ground that we've seen before. Um, my big complaint's Jim Lee, who I don't love here. Um, well, I so so two sixty. We do have to be clear. Like so, two sixty six is not Lee. It's Mike Collins oh, on yeah, pencils, yeah, right. Joseph yep. Rubenstein on inks, and then I think two sixty seven and sixty eight. Yeah, that's yeah. where we get Jim Lee. Um, and uh, and friends you get anchor Scott Williams as well here. So the first issue is not Lee. So like yeah. Mike Collins, Jim Lee, and Claremont, I think they all share co-creator credit on Gambit, if I'm not mistaken. Hmm, interesting. So yeah. I think Lee is a pretty good like. I think he's a decent artist. Like obviously, or I think he's a good artist. I don't think he's a great like visual storyteller. Is what I'm decent. trying to say. Leaning like, I, on I think, Lee. I think he does like great covers and great single pages of you know single panels of action. But those mm-hmm. panels flowing one to the next, I think, are, like, severely lacking. And I think his pages are, like, overdone. They are tough to, like, tough to read. I think they just have, like, a real lack of flow to them that drags the whole thing down for me. All re- and- so already you think that. Because, again, this is fairly early in yeah, his well, career. I, I don't know. I think, he, you know, I think the McFarlane's, the Liefeld's, the Lees, they're all, they're all following more of the of a slightly more familiar Marvel template, you know? And yeah, it's going to progress, I think, even more so as we go. And to give him, you know, a little leeway, <laughs> um, <laughs> I, I looked this up because I was not actually sure, like, the method of how they work. And I read a script by Claremont from this era. I read, like, an Excalibur script to see, like, how he... Look at you! Scripts Look out at this stuff. research. Well, because I wanted to know, like, it, it made me curious because I was, like, so so often with Claremont's stuff, like, I'm frustrated by the, the flow of things. And sure. I, I do suspect a lot of it has to do with, like, Claremont asks a little too much of his artists. I think, like, Claremont, like, insists on having too much stuff going on <laughs> in each of his issues. And I think that, like, was backed up a little bit by the, uh, the the script that I read. Like, just the page description was, like, how much stuff he wants to happen on each page is just, you know, like, it feel, feels like it would be very overwhelming and a really daunting task. To, you know who uh, to You know who has a daunting task, which we have never properly celebrated, is letterer Tom Orzakowski, mm. who has to find the space, the space on yeah. every page yeah, yeah. to fit in all of this text, all of this dialogue, so all of text. these captions, to not just cover up all of Jim Lee's art. You know, like, yeah. that. Yeah, yeah. we have not ever fully appreciated the challenges, and, and not only that, but to keep, like, a narrative flow of, like, go from here to here as our eyeballs work across the letters on the page. Shouts to Tom yeah. Orzakowski for making that happen and and making it a thing where you can read this whole run and just never think about the lettering you know because it's so good because it's so well suited to the page like that that is the challenge i think and honestly i'm looking back at 268 right now uh which is kind of an iconic issue jim lee doesn't do anything weird with layouts in this issue um it's a very standard with the exception of the Starenko vibes of Cap diving across the page on the opening, which I love, as he fights a bunch of hand ninjas, um, it's a very straightforward. See those those action layout, scenes. But... Like I took time to like really like try to try to spend time looking at those action scenes, and they really don't read well to me. Like it is it is not dynamic action to me. It feels like you, you know the thing. I think he's a really what kind talented... of action. Do you like again? I, I forget. Uh, basically Miller and Byrne. Miller and Byrne, like, do the t- <laughs> are the two guys who can draw action the way that I think, you know, like, 
it, it can okay. work really well. I mean, well. I, th- I think historically Jim Lee's pretty well regarded in terms of his ability to portray action. I mean, these bad, I actually like the Wolverine cap fighting hand ninja stuff quite a bit. I think he does a good job yeah. of giving different portrayals of, again, leaning into that Storenko type, you know, cap leaping across the page vibe of Wolverine snarling mid battle. Um, I don't know. See, I, see, I, like, I've never the had the problems that you have with like it making sense. On the individual You know if that's what panel, you're talking about? Uh, like on individual panels, I think they're, they're decent. I don't think like, I, I think he's a better, like he's a more talented artist than I would even say like McFarlane or Liefeld. Like I think like if it was just like, I, I like if I'm ranking draw. them if I'm ranking them at this point I'm going yeah. McFarlane Lee Liefeld um but again like I don't I don't really totally know what that's based on I just like McFarlane's style like the yeah. way McFarlane makes a Spidey villain pop I feel yeah. like he can do that better than any of the other two at this point. yeah I like over time you know like Jim Lee is incredibly pro- prolific he still he still has it right like he can still draw a great Batman I just don't, I think I just, he has a style of superhero drawing that I don't love. You know, it's just a little too, um, I don't know. It's, it's, it's it's like, it's too overly serious or like self-serious. There's something about it that just does like, does not vibe with me. (laughs) Well, well, have I got a decade you're going to love. Yeah, I know. I know. Uh, I mean, I I don't have that problem. Rob Liefeld is very self-serious for sure, but like. He doesn't pull it off. Like, Jim Lee, like, actually kind of does it, right? <laughs> you know, like, yeah. he, he, he does a better job of trying to ha- draw, like, a very serious Batman. So, like, I at least don't have that, like... Batman's not in this comic. You keep talking middle about him. Di- well, I, I don't know. Confused. When I think of Jim Lee, I think about DC. I don't think about his Marvel, because I don't know his Marvel that well. I well, think then of get his, with like, the times. 2000s. That's a decade in the future, my man. Right. Well, I mean, I will say here, I will say here as well... Jim Lee, I actually think, and again, 268 is the issue I keep coming to because it's it's a classic. It's a flashback issue about Wolverine meeting Captain America in World War II, about That's Black fun. Widow being yeah. there mysteriously, um, and kind of and in the present day, they're still on Madripoor, um, and and Black Widow's dealing with the scheme by what is it like the Strucker twins um, in the hand? Or no, it's more the hand. <laughs> There's um, but nothing the, you I could care less about than like some rando madripoor ninja guild and the the strucker twins like combine those two things into like an x-men plot that like i could that's a nice that's a nice combo of world's worst yeah but um yeah. but no like jim lee here he does so he's got his psylocke like he's he's carving out his his niche on mm-hmm. on what psylocke is going to be for a lot of people which is ooh, hot ninja right yeah, yeah. um and There's but also a like shot here where the foreground is just her crotch like in in up close well like the focus yeah. is on someone in the background looking at her, but the foreground is just, you know, like her pelvis <laughs> in close up. I, I think he does some good stuff with like facial expressions here too, though. Like there's a whole, like actually like a more comedic scene where Jubilee is like looking at Black Widow, looking at Psylocke, then looking at herself, clearly envious of their full grown woman's bodies, right? Um, and, and it's actually played like a little bit for comedy. It's all facial expression. It all yeah, happens in the yeah. background. None of the dialogue Something is describing like all, it. I think that's actually the, pretty good work by Lee. Uh, all, all the like women that uh, Logan has a history with are all like bombshells. <laughs> she like, yeah. makes, points that out. Yeah. Yeah. But we could see Wolverine Cap beating up a bunch of Nazis and including Baron von Strucker in uh, in World War Two era. Like I think story wise, too, this is some of Claremont's better marvel universe work as well which is why i think this issue comes up a lot and is pretty well celebrated is we get to see again it's like it's one of those things where yeah all right you drop black widow captain america and wolverine into a story surely it's going to be a hit but it's also a thing that hasn't been overused in a lot of ways especially in claremont's x-men like he doesn't overuse marvel universe cameos i would actually say generally speaking he doesn't he doesn't do it much 
at all when you really boil it down because there's so much happening just with his mutants. That's why this issue, I think, really stands out in a lot of ways. Um, I, I'd be curious what people's reactions to the Jim Lee style are. We definitely see, like, his you know, kind of swimsuit special vibes when you see, like, Psylocke and Black Widow wearing their yeah. sexy outfits getting onto the boat yeah. in Madripoor kind of thing in, in sort of this um, egregious, superfluous, you know, like, like they literally wear the outfits for, what, all of, like, 12 seconds to bombard, like, to get onto a boat, but then they immediately all start attacking everyone on the boat anyway. So it's yeah. like, well, why didn't you just fight your way onto the boat? You know, it doesn't make a whole heck of a lot of sense. Um, but, yeah, I don't know. I don't, I'm not, like, the biggest Jim Lee stan. I'm just kind of weirded out by your reluctance to so, his style no. compared to even Liefeld. Like, he's not, yeah. he's doing a better Liefeld than, than he is at this point in terms of action, in terms of No, I, I do, like, you shouldn't get a ton of credit because you're definitely right about, like, facial expressions. You know, like, I think he's got a, a wider a range of, um, wider range when it comes to drawing facial expressions. I think it literally just comes down to the actual, like, flow of the, uh, the story to me. And, you know what, like, so, I, I don't think I finished my thought. Um, with Claremont, like, Claremont is doing the Marvel method of, like, he's just describing what the story is for this page. He's just yeah. like, Kitty's asleep in a bed, the room is cluttered, uh, she's tossing and turning in her bed. All of a sudden, people burst in the room, there's this person, you know, and, like, he just kind of is like, this is all the stuff that needs to happen on page one. Page two, and he tells everything that happens, right? Like, he all lays it out, and I think, like, that might, that's probably a very tough place to live in as a comic artist to you know, really have to lay all this out and, like, interpret that, right? Like, sure. especially for someone who's very, very new. So, you know, like, it's, I, I think it is a daunting task that I do not envy. And I think he's doing pretty good work for that. Like, I, I don't think this is awful. I, we have read much worse. <laughs> um, I also just, like, it's not my favorite style. Yeah, so part of it is just an aesthetic preference of just, like, I don't love this, like, very dark, jagged style right to like the the faces and the bodies and uh and everything but i think part of it is also i think the the actual like storytelling flow is a, a little lacking um but not not egregious it doesn't help that i also don't I, care I do not have those problems at this point uh, it, it, but i, yeah, but I it, does, hear it doesn't help that the main plot is something that i'm just like ninjas and the strucker twins i can't <laughs> i can't seem to care about this so even though so i do like 68 i think is pretty like, good yeah. um I, let, let's Captain back it up because we meeting. yeah yeah, no, the, the flashback stuff. Oh, we, good. we didn't um, talk about um, Gambit. Let's talk about Gambit all. and let's yeah. talk about the actual Shadow King okay. plot here because I, these are also issues that I think are fairly well done, surprisingly, because there's a lot of weirdness going on. But basically, as Storm's trying to escape the clutches of the Shadow King and, and these hounds that you described, um, she accidentally runs into Gambit. Okay, basically, like, there's a there's a setup here where Storm is operating as a thief, as a young thief. They hear about, like, a house with a bunch of, you know, wealthy paintings or whatever. It's all set up by Shadow King, by Jacob Rice to catch Storm, but then Gambit, being a thief himself, he comes and he wants to get these. So the characters sort of run into each other that way, and then we get the two of them, Storm and Gambit, on the run from um, the Shadow King and, and his agents, and uh, it's, I think it's pretty well done. Like, you get a good feel for what Gambit's powers are here. He can take objects and, and kinetically charge them and make them explode. He has playing cards. His motif and his style, his trench coat, his famous headband, his purple abs, all of that is here, right? Oh, you, oh, and then you I, have yeah, a childlike out. Storm running alongside <laughs> first, him. It's actually pretty fun stuff. The first panel, but yeah, he, his personality comes through very strongly. Um, and his like his fun dialect, right? His dialect and accent comes through in a way that's not really grating. Uh, I was kind of worried that it was going to be like one of those things where they write it in his accent and it would just be hard yeah. to read and that would be a pain. But no, it doesn't. So he's okay. I'm not like I wasn't like oh wow, who's this guy? I don't think it's as strong of an introduction as Cable. Um, 
But if like, you didn't know Gambit was a name that mattered, I don't yeah. know you'd read these and be like, Gambit's going to matter. But at the same time, whereas I'm like, oh, he's, that, he's compelling enough. Whereas those cable issues, I'd be like, oh, it's fun. I'm, I'm, I'm digging this guy. Who's this guy? Yeah, I, I think that's fair. Yeah. Um, The first panel we see Gambit, he looks awful. <laughs> Did you note this? It's like the introduction <laughs> yeah. of the character. We get this full body yeah. shot of him and he looks terrible. And then he looks better later on. But like, there's one really bad uh, panel. Um. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't start at the strongest. 67, it continues with that. Oh, a, a moment that kind of, like, illustrates what I'm talking about is that they're in a, like, a plane graveyard, right? Like, it's a bunch of airplanes. That's where Gambit is hiding out. And then uh, a bunch that's of... That's a thing, by the yeah, way. Right. <laughs> the if, you go, if you go to Cairo, sense. Illinois, you will find lots of plane graveyards. They're the a little Shadow bit like King elephant sells. graveyards and Lion King. Do not recommend visiting. Yeah, I have no idea what this is about. supposed to be like. <laughs> what the purpose? Of I mean, they're, it's not even like they're all just lined up. It's it's just literally like they all crashed into a pile. Um, but like Storm, th- there's a sequence where but they get attacked by some of the Shadow King's lackeys here, and then Storm takes off with the plane. She uses her powers to like make the plane take off. It is so not represented visually that like if you are not reading like super carefully you will just miss that the plane is in the air now and it's not even super clear that it's in the air until you see someone fall off of it like i had to go back and i was like oh did i miss that they took off and then it was like in the text gambit was like are you sure you can handle this and i was like oh i missed that uh because like it is it does not get represented visually that the plane is you know being lifted off <laughs> okay. the ground are you, are you looking at what i'm talking yeah, about you get you get caught in these in these moments in these details of like specifically where people are that i just never would think to to even have a, a have in my mind it's, you know just because like as a, the story's progressing it's just such a it's, it's such an a academic critique it's not thing. like it's not even like a main focus see because it's not this is not some like yeah removed point i'm making it's it i mean it, it's my actual like reading experience is that like you know, I I'm no, I believe like, you. I'm not saying you're manufacturing it. I'm just like I would. Well, no, not, not I, that, that even that, that like, thought I'm, would not even for a second uh, have an imp- like provide an impediment to my reading because I just I don't. It's fine. But like <laughs> whatever. They're but in the what, air, they're but not. what you're saying, like, I mean, the thing about Jim Lee, he draws a great cover. He draws a great splash page, right? Like beautiful stuff, right? The, the first issue or the first page of 268 with that full page spread of uh, Captain America. And then, like mm-hmm. you said, him jumping across the page. Great. Great. And it's very Steranko. You're right. It's a good comparison. Um, yeah. So, like, yeah, I, th- I think probably said all I have to say about Jim Lee. Like, good, talented guy. Just uh, maybe not maybe not for me. <laughs> okay. Uh, yeah. In 267, we do also <laughs> I know. have to I mean, call you're out laughing that, that Storm's saying this, but, like, I mean, yeah. I, we read Walt Simonson, and I thought he's not that talented. Like, it, the point of the show is to, to give our, our critiques about stuff, right? So, like. I, I mean, th- there is, like, the idea, oh, it's a sacred cow. Well, I can, you know? I can still laugh at the laughable ones. I was saying Walt Simonson and Jim Lee are not talented is madness. No, I know. Madness. I mean, I'm, I'm being... I'm it's also being insulting and derogatory and completely not fair. I'm being I'm being <laughs> hyperbolic. Like, there's, there's yes. plenty of Walt Simonson stuff that I, I appreciate. But, like, you know, it, it is not outlandish to be like, hey, uh, this thing that is regarded as great, I mean, maybe it's not as great as everyone thinks, you know? like Of course. Of course. Happens. No one is telling you. Uh, I, I never have I said I'm being you can't persecuted for my something. beliefs. Is what uh-huh. I'm saying. Uh huh. No, I can just I I am laughing because it's unexpected. I suppose. Um, it, I again, I'm not a huge Jim Lee stan yeah. per se. Yeah. Right? Like I'm not like Walt Simonson. I really like that Thor run a lot. So yeah. you saying yeah. like Walt Simonson's no good at Thor? That's like okay. I have more he's not. I mean, it, or I have is. way less. He's good, he's good at Thor. I, I like his. I have way less of a personal attachment to Jim Lee's X Men, honestly, yeah. um, than that. So it's more just like, 
Oh yeah, like he's gonna do uncanny with Claremont for mm-hmm. for a minute here, uh, and then he's gonna do some of his own stuff. So yeah, I mean he's a major. See, I mean that, that doesn't make on me. X-Men. That doesn't make me like wince like when I heard that Walt Simonson was drawing X Factor for a while, right? Like when I knew that was coming up, I was like, oh god. But like knowing that Jim Lee's gonna be on this, I'm like, yeah, fine. Like he, he draws a, a, you know, a nice character. He he draws a nice a nice. Comic I mean, and book. I I don't I don't know that you're alone either in in being like eh, I'm not actually here for this 90s style encroaching on Marvel, I think what's a, what's particularly odd in this moment is praising New Mutants and what yeah. Liefeld's doing there and then coming to Jim Lee and Uncanny X-Men doing basically the same thing but better and having a very it, different it reaction. It genuinely That's just comes down to the fact that I think those Liefeld issues read really well. I think they're and better think, stories. Well, that that has less that, to do with his artistic uh, visualization, his styling. I mean, in some ways, it, obviously, the storytellers, that's, why, that, and that's that important. That is genuinely but... why I went to go look up the scripts, because I was like, hey, you know what? Like, I, I should really factor in how hard it is to, to work with these different authors, right? You know, because, like, it probably is a much easier ask to be to write a Walt or a, um, to draw a Louise Simonson script than it is a Chris Claremont script. Like, I would bet. Like dollars to donuts, it's a much sure. easier job to do that because that I would not shock me. Louise Simonson does not ask quite as much, and she does not quite like as overburden her artists with uh with stuff packed in per issue. So you yeah, know, like that, that's definitely a factor, right? Like, but again, like I look at the the cover of X Men number one, right? The, the big X super famous cover. It's kind of fun, you know. Like I I can get behind the nostalgia of it, but it's that's not... a great cover. No, it's a great yeah, cover. I mean, it I is a that. very classic cover. But, like, that style is just not something that I look at and go, like, hell yeah. Right? Like, and Liefeld, I don't think that Liefeld. I don't. With I, Liefeld but, either, but Liefeld, I at least Where are you looking for I, that moment in Marvel have, at this point, though? Like, like Jim Starlin's this, return, I guess, in Infinity yeah, Gauntlet. Yeah, that's I mean, going to that, give you some of that. So I, I think mean, I think what the problem here is you're rooted in the Bronze Age and you can't get out. We'll, we'll I think, see. actually, I, I you're, you're, the, you're the kid Liefeld. in high school <laughs> in the 2000s yeah. who loves Pink Floyd and nothing else. Yeah, listen, right? I'm not like the rest of my generation. Uh, <laughs> I only like Starling Comics, baby. Yeah. Oh God, that's next next episode. Can we can we talk about next episode? Are we done? Can we jump ahead? Um, yeah. Next. Episode. Well, oh, we are we're up? basically done. Except I know you're going to want to talk about Nanny and Orphan Maker a lot. Um, oh, so yeah, maybe we should they're go fun. for another I, I like hour. Them. They, they've, they've they're actually very yeah. fun here. I think Claremont does a nice job with them. Yeah. I really like. Uh, I like this use of Orphan Maker, who is sin- whatever. I'm not going to explain this. Orphan Maker uh, is kind of acting like a surly teen because uh, Nanny's taking on Storm. Nanny and Orphan Maker, unsurprisingly, are Nanny is the one who like DH Storm. Okay, so that's like the revelation yeah, we, here. We get that is because yeah. I had actually forgotten. So like last we saw of Storm, she looked like she had died. After Havoc blew up Nanny and Orphan Maker's ship, mm-hmm. um, and then Havoc's all like, "No, what did I do?" Which is basically his state of being. Um, and uh, in this case, it was like, "No, Storm survived." But then Nanny was like, "Hey, what if I made you a little girl?" And uh, and that's where Storm's going to be for a minute. So they're here too. Um, it's interesting. Uh, solid debut of Gambit, I will say. Not as strong as the debut of Cable. I think is where we're netting out. Yeah, it's interesting knowing like their legacy. Because if, if, you know, in a vacuum, I wouldn't be like, well, this guy's going to be huge. But I mean, I would say my po- my standing in 2021 as a fan, I like Cable Comics more than I like Gambit Comics. Hmm. Um, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I, it, it's, you know, so it's not a, shocking to me that his origin is more interesting as well? It's a bigger conversation maybe we can have. But that, like, reading these comics, especially for the first time, knowing, like, how big these characters become, it is interesting to see, like, which one's just, like land with a bang in which ones are kind of like, eh, okay, maybe later, right? Like Apocalypse 
and uh, Apocalypse mainly. <laughs> Apocalypse is the big one. We're just like, I feel like we haven't read like a very good Apocalypse story yet, and I know he's going to be a big deal. Well, that's because and... you did not read Fall of the Mutants. Clearly, clearly did not read that with a, as with one a discerning. Should. I, I mean, even you weren't like, weren't like that's the best Apocalypse. No, I, story I stood up for Fall of the Mutants Apocalypse because okay. I, I enjoyed this. You and you and Sarah, Sen- the fact that we had Sarah Sentry on there, who is a critic whose voice is is respected, um, and she was not that into <laughs> yeah, it, she, she, <laughs> definitely she, made she, me reconsider. And uh, and again, I will retreat. But then, quickly like, I think Mister Sinister, Venom. Like Thanos, right? These are guys who like showed up on the page immediately, and then like this would be a this would be a fun list, maybe yeah, yeah. for a variant cover um, of like who are the villains who the most, come in the hottest. The, where's where the the widest ratio between like the worst premiere and like the best character, right? Like who who premiere? But like the worst, the wor- it has to be then... it has to be shaded with like yeah, apocalypse like worst premiere quote unquote because you know he had a glow up late. Like, yes, it can't exactly, just be someone yeah. who showed up and didn't matter, right? So, like, like hot, like villains coming in the hottest. Um, yeah, you had a great list there. Mr. Sinister, Venom, uh, Thanos obviously stands out. I mean, Doctor Doom is, like, the all-time number one. I mean, uh, it's, it's hard to, to do any of that those lists when it comes to the Silver Age, right? Because most well, it's of sort them... of like, do you go Doom 1A, Stiltman 1B? You know, how do you balance that, right? It mm. gets tricky mm-hmm. the, the more you have to think <laughs> about it. Green Goblin, technically? Where, what do you count? Do you count his official... Goblin? No, actually, no. I'm confusing myself. I was gonna say when we know he's Norman Osborn, because then he'd be high up there. Never mind. He's not super to the top. Doctor Octopus comes in hot as well. All right, this might need to be a variant cover. This is this yeah, is a fun question. You yeah, yeah. The, you can write a whole article on this. Yeah. <laughs> Come coming for you, CBR. <laughs> coming for you. Okay, here's the headline: The top 15 villains who come in super hot compared to the other 15 villains who don't come in as hot, but you know they're gonna be big later. Of all time. Right Exclamation off point. Yeah. Boom. Search it, baby. SEO. All right. Uh, I'm Dave. You can find my stuff, compacarol.com. Together, we're My Marvelous Year. You can find at My Marvelous Year to talk with Zach on social. You can support the show over at patreon.com slash My Marvelous Year. Issues, the reading of all the comics that we do, you can find in the show notes. You can find uh, by backing us on patreon.com for your own special access to our spreadsheet. Um, you can get them via complicated email. You can ask us if you really want to. Like, not the best way to do it, but we'd probably point you in the right direction. <laughs> yep. um, yeah, I think those are all the ways you can find the issues. And uh, what's coming up next week? What are we doing next week? Thanos Gauntlet? Quest, no. which ah. genuinely might be like, it. it's, it's I think, I think actually Thanos Quest might be the first comics that I read when I got Marvel Unlimited because I, I watched an Infinity War and I was like, I'm going to get into Marvel Comics and I'm going to start with <laughs> Infinity Gauntlet. Um, so Thanos Quest might be the first comics I read on Marvel Unlimited. I love those two issues. Thanos Quest re- rule. I'm really comics, hoping it like, These are my favorite Thanos comics, I would say. They're so, I don't know that so anything cool. will ever uh, So I, them. I really yeah. hope they live up to my wildly high expectations and memories. Um, Rebirth then, of Thanos, baby. Silver Surfer yep. and Thanos Quest. So, yep, some, some Silver Surfer, a Silver Surfer graphic novel called The Enslavers, and The Guardians oh, of the and, Galaxy. And we got to mention, which we just did a moment ago but jim starlin's back baby jim starlin's yeah. back oh, and haven't seen him he's for back minute. in a big way i've been like looking through early 90s comics and it's like jim starlin's all over it and not only jim starlin but like thanos and adam warlock it's like adam warlock's oh, yeah. gonna have a ongoing series throughout the early 90s like that gets like i don't know 50 plus issues yeah Silver it's kind of funny when you think about it like because if somebody asked me like oh when's thanos era i'd be like oh like 75 to 79 right he's like the starlin stuff everywhere in the really it's 90s. now it yeah, is, really, it's it, like 90 to I 93. I mean, he, he's going to oversaturate for sure, right? Like, <laughs> um, 
Oh, kind of no, though. I think that's the power of Starlin. But all right, we'll we'll talk yeah, about it yeah, as yeah. we go. Um, yeah, uh, anyway, then we're going to so. do an original graphic novel that I read recently was not on the old My Marvel This Year list. Hmm, Silver Surfer, The Enslavers, written by Stan Lee with art by Keith Pollard. That one's a, it's an interesting one. I won't say it's great, but it's interesting. Stan Lee, the manly, perhaps a writer you've heard of. And then we're going to do... The relaunch Guardians of the Galaxy. That's right, baby. They're not just a 2008 special. 1990 Guardians of the Galaxy launch. This is an interesting one to read and an interesting one to talk about for a number of reasons. And I'm excited about 1990 because I think we have three guests lined up for the rest of the year, uh, if I'm not mistaken. So I'm very excited to, to get some guests back. It's been a minute since we've had some Goody, guests. Good, we've got, good, good. We're uh, going to have to ask all of them, uh, what do you think about Jim Lee? I think that's the first question we ask each book or each guest I, I is, would genuinely give us your like, jim lee thoughts yeah i'd be genuinely curious to hear well and they're, they're going to be a wide variety of like because some people you know like you might have come to him in the 90s you might have come to him like you said like with batman hush you know in the in dc maybe it's the new 52 era jim lee right people are gonna have all sorts of he's been a huge artist forever across different properties you know like if you had asked me just as a comics reader in 2020 uh or even earlier like 2018 like hey what do you think of jim lee i'd be like it would have been a totally dc colored uh, perspective you mm-hmm. know i wouldn't have yeah. read his marvel stuff uh in many ways right so i would have just been like oh yeah like batman hush i thought was fun you know when i read it super early in my comic yeah I, I, I remember liking that I, I don't you know this is also it, it's a totally unfair it, there's something i think flawed about talking about trying like jim lee as a whole now right because it's like i don't i have no idea how long he's been working on comics but he's 25 26 at this point right like he definitely goes on to become a much better comic artist right like this mm-hmm. is very good. Like, I think he's a very good comic book artist right now and like, yeah. a very talented artist, but, like, he gets significantly better, right? Like, so, you know, th- there is a flaw in, like, talking about somebody in their very early days where it's like, yeah, they, they take some time to work out the, the wrinkles. Um, well, so, you know, it, in some ways, yes. I mean, the thing with comics... Yeah, go Well, on. the thing with comics, though, is, like, is, like, production styles advance so much, too. You know, where, like, somebody can just have... Like, like the cleanness of Hush and the, the digitized coloring and some of yeah. it, that's going to have a different feel coming yeah. out in 2005. And there are readers who will just gravitate to that and be like, this is comic book art in a way that you never would with 1990 Marvel, you know? Yeah. So, like, there, there's some of that, too, where it's like, yeah, of course, it's 15 years later. He's changed as an artist. But there's also all these advancements in the industry where that might just be the thing that, that your eye gravitates to. I mean, it's just, I don't know. Yeah. We've talked about this with writers, too. Like, it's not... It's not quite the same thing as, like, music, you know? Like, when you're 25 and you make an album, it's not like, oh, by the time you're 40, well, you can definitely make a better album because you've been playing music for no, a long right. time. You know, no, so it, it really it's happens. Because, I mean, I I would suspect, and, you know, maybe I'll be wrong, but I'll suspect we're going to have the opposite thing about Liefeld, right? Like, as he goes on, you know, even as a young man, we are going to like his work less and less and not more and more. Um, but, you know, I, I think there is something to, like, a few years of experience can probably really, you know, teach you. And, and we, you know, we've talked about when you peak as a comic book creator and in uh, the kind of like shelf life of that window when you're at your uh, at your prime. Um, and, and there's something to what you're saying, too, about like if, if he wasn't Jim Lee, the Enterprise, the, the COO of D- DC Comics or whatever his title is at this point, I, I wouldn't have the same reaction to of like kind of shock. And I wouldn't like I wouldn't standing up to your your claims, you know, I would just be like, okay, you don't like the the art. Let's move on. You know, I I don't think I probably would have paid as much attention. I would have been like, yeah, these these, I probably would have focused more on Claremont and, you know, his his writing, which, you know, it's kind of doing the same thing it's been doing for a while. And I've got the same like praise and critiques. of. He has never written about Little Girl Storm. How can you say such a thing? 
I completely know. I, new. I swear, like, I feel like we've read the, like, DH thing with him more than once. Um, I feel like... Ileana was one time. We spent six years building up a story. It's <laughs> It yeah, wasn't I like, that I big I like the Ileana thing. I, I don't know. I'm, uh, I, I'm not sure. The the Storm Little Girl phase, I would be I, I would be curious about X Men readers who were reading this stuff in the moment. Uh-huh. Uh, because I've heard that like the post Siege Perilous era, there's a lot of fans who were just like, Why are we doing this? What's happening? Like it's hard to imagine too, you know, the the month to month experience of reading this era and being like, Yeah, we're spending a little bit of time with each character separate across months and months and months. I, it would have been a weird a weird monthly comics, I think yeah. for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. All right. I'm Dave. He's Zach. We're My Marvelous Year. Music for the show is by Disasterpiece. You can find everything you need right here with us on My Marvelous Thanks for listening, everybody. And as always, we'll see you next year. See you next year.